plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners, and how are we all today? It is a bright, sunny day, just lovely here in California. So I hope that you are having a great week, the week before Thanksgiving, getting ready to express our gratitude. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, This is our informational playground at Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And we are coming to you live on the Voice America Network. And it's brought to the airways under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And I am Cynthia Bryan. I will always be Cynthia Bryan, I believe. So that's good. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be the Star You Are. And Be the Star You Are will be participating on December 10th in um, Santa Day, as we always do. And we want to thank our sponsor, Mark Hooks of State Farm Insurance, who is sponsoring Be the Star You Are. And you can visit teamhoogs.com. That's T-E-A-M-H-O-O-G-S. It's so nice to have a sponsor. So thank you, Mark. And this is from Albert Einstein. When I examine myself and my methods of thought, I come to the conclusion that the gift of fantasy has meant more to me than my talent for absorbing positive knowledge. And I love that quote from Einstein, who is obviously one of the most intelligent uh, people, highest IQs that probably ever lived, at least one of them. And the fact that, you know, what he's really saying is that we have to um, daydream and we have to have imagination and we have to have our fantasies. I think that's just so great. So, you know, when we're uh, telling our kids, you know, to think big, just let them let them dream. I think it's important. So what we're talking about today in our second segment, I have a very interesting uh, article that I wanted to read that was adapted from a talk delivered at Hillsdale College um, a month ago by um, Christopher Caldwell, who was a senior fellow, and uh, he is an opinion writer for the New York Times. And it's about the complications of the Ukraine war and kind of the history of, of Russia and Ukraine. And I thought that was so, it's fascinating. Um, and of course, democracy and freedom depend on Ukraine prevailing. So it's interesting to have different perspectives. And in segment um, three, if you have ever had to pull a tooth or had a tooth pulled or undergone a crown at a dentist, did you utilize the gift of Novocaine or any other painkiller? And have you ever wondered how teeth were cared for more than 100 years ago? There's a beef, uh, a beef. I'm going to give you kind of a, a brief retrospective at the wonders of modern dentistry and the history of dental care. And then also, um, you know, about preventing forest fires. Humans, you know, Smokey the Bear always said, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. But 
over a thousand years, Mother Nature did her thing with forests and she flourished. So what do we have to rethink about fire and forest management? And right now we're going to talk about sleep and teens because sleep is so critical to learning, growing, and positivity in in teens. And at, um, at puberty, their circadian rhythms shift. And, and when they are deprived of sleep, they are more prone to injuries and depression. So how does sleep differ from adult sleep or kid sleep? So at the onset of puberty, uh, teen circadian rhythms, they shift completely with melatonin, That's a hormone that primes us to feel sleepy. It's released much later. So they're not sleepy until later at night. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, the kids are going to sleep at 7.30, 8.39. But when you're a teenager, that melatonin doesn't doesn't kick in until later. And then it doesn't subside until later in the morning. So their whole schedule shifts. And If you have a kid who's six years old, they're going to bound out of bed, you know, every morning at the crack of dawn, but then they collapse uh, kind of at dusk or whenever, but your teen isn't bouncing out of bed at 6.30. And that's why here in uh, California, they've changed the hours of, um, of high school starting a little bit later because teens usually aren't ready to fall asleep until 11 or maybe even midnight. I know... The teens that I work with uh, for Be The Star You Are and Express Yourself Teen Radio, we're still working, emailing each other and stuff, sometimes at 11 or midnight. So I know that they're up. And teens actually need 8 to 10 hours of sleep every night. So if they're supposed to be sitting in their seats every morning at 7.30 at school, they are definitely not getting enough sleep. And we really need to care about whether they get enough sleep because there are huge costs in terms of health and well-being. So inadequate sleep, as we know, is linked to depression. And it's also in, linked with increased suicide. And those are very severe issues that are hitting teens, especially today. And in the classroom, there are academic ramifications because the implications um, for kids, uh, teens that are driving, for example, I mean, supposedly, according to, ta- to statistics, teenagers are already dangerous on the road because they're new and they're still learning. And then when they're sleep deprived, it just ups the ante. And athletes are even more prone to injuries. And then the list goes on and on. And I know so many teens who have fallen asleep at the wheel, literally, um, and gotten into accidents, which is very sad. So what is the most important thing that parents can do to help teens improve their sleep hygiene? Well, first of all, the term sleep hygiene is something that we all should, you know, put in our vocabulary because it creates a sense that we need to prime ourselves to start winding down to get ready for bed. Um, A wind down routine can involve things like getting off electronics, you know, getting away from your phone, your computer, and turning, being able to turn off the light and put your head down. But our brains just don't work that way. So, you know, I mean, if you can take a hot shower or a hot bath or read a book or something, a lot of people have to use built-in controls to shut down the programs that they would use. Otherwise, they could just doom scroll 
through all the news and all the stuff all night long, and it doesn't help you wind down. So it's really better to set a timetable, read a book, um, you know, and really give your kids an approachable way to feel like they are going to go to sleep. Maybe have a, you know, a cup of, uh, of warm milk with honey in it, something like that, and some cinnamon. Now, if you're focusing on plugging from phones, also has something to do with that blue light. So just so you know that blue light can delay the release of melatonin. And it is absolutely a factor. With that being said, various experts are saying that it's, although the blue light is a factor, it's more the engagement. Uh, That means that they're actually reading or interacting with friends, and that helps them not go to sleep. So one of the experts compared using blue light blockers to putting a filter on a cigarette. I mean, it helps a little, but not all that much. And um, again, the high school here in California, we have changed the start times. And that is actually a a really good thing. Uh, Middle schools can no longer start any earlier than 8 a.m. And high schools can start no earlier than 8.30. And California is the first state in the nation to do this. Um, And that is going to help teens in a really big way. And another thing that I wanted to talk about teens, because I thought this was rather fun, I was going through my desk and going through files, and I had um, cut out this um, article that Adair Laura had written, and this is just, it was from, is it from 1998? So it's a really long time ago, but I thought it was so interesting that I thought it would read it to you. And it's called When Children Turn Into Cats. I just realized that while children are dogs, loyal and affectionate, teenagers are cats. It's so easy to be the owner of a dog. You feed it, you train it, you boss it around. It puts its head on your knee, gazes at you as if you were a Rembrandt painting It follows you around, it chews the dust covers off the great literature series if you stay too long at the party, and it bounds inside with enthusiasm when you call it from the yard. Then one day, around age 13, your adoring little puppy turns into a big old cat. And when you tell it to come inside, it looks amazed, as if you're wondering who died and maybe you're the emperor. Instead of dogging your footsteps, it disappears. You won't see it again until it's hungry, and when it pauses on its sprint through the kitchen long enough to turn its nose up at whatever you're serving, when you reach out to ruffle its head in that old affectionate gesture, it just twists away from you and then gives you a blank stare as if trying to remember where it had ever seen you before. It sometimes conks out right after breakfast. It might steal itself to the communication necessary to get the back door open or the car keys handed to it, but even that amount of dependence is disagreeable for now. Stunned and more than a little hurt, you have two choices. The first, and the one chosen by many parents, is that you can continue to behave like a dog owner. After all, your heart still swells when you look at your dog, you still want its company, And naturally, when you tell it to stop digging up the rose bushes, you still expect it to obey you and pronto. It pays no attention now, of course, because your dog has turned into a cat. 
So you toss it onto the part back porch, telling it it can stay there and think about things, mister, and it glares at you and not deigning to reply. It wants you to recognize that it has a new nature now and it must feel independent or it will die. You, not really realizing that the dog is now a cat, think something must be desperately wrong with it. It seems so antisocial, so distant, so sort of depressed. It even won't go on family outings. Well, since you're the one who raised it, taught it to fetch and stay and sit on command, naturally you assume that whatever is wrong with it is something that you did or you left undone. And you're flooded with guilt and fear and you redouble your efforts to make your pet behave. Only now you are dealing with a cat. So everything that worked before now produces exactly the opposite of the desired result. Call it and it runs away. Tell it to sit and it jumps on the counter. The more you go toward it, wringing your hands, the more it moves away. Now your second choice is to do the necessary reading and learn how to behave like a cat owner. Put a dish of food near the door, let it come to you. If, it, if you must issue commands, find out what it wants to do and command it to do it. But remember that a cat needs affection too, and a cat needs your help. So sit still, it will come, seeking that warm, comfortable lap. It has not entirely forgotten. Just be there to open the door for it, and realize that all dog owners go through this, and they find it, e- and they find it easy. But glance used to travel from my cat Mike looking regal and aloof on the fence to a foolish German shepherd on the sidewalk across the street jumping for joy simply because he was getting to go outside. Now I miss that little boy who insisted that I watch Full House with him and who has now sealed him into a bedroom with a stereo and a TV and the little girl who wrote me mash notes and is now peeling rubber in the driveway. And the only consolation is that if you do it right, you let them go, you be as cool as a cat yourself, one day they will walk into the kitchen and give you a big kiss and say, you've been on your feet all day. Let me get those dishes for you. And you'll realize that they're dogs again. (laughs) And when I read this, again, that was by Adair Laura, when children turn in to cats. And um, it just hit a note because I realized that after all these years, that nothing ever changes, right? So kids and teenagers are always going to be kids and teenagers, and we're always going to have dogs and cats. And we can never change anyone else except for ourselves. So the takeaway from this segment is just be gentle. Let your kid, your teens get as much sleep as possible. Don't nag them and just bring them a bowl of milk so they can be cats. <laughs> You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit with this in this really interesting essay on the complications of the Ukraine war and the history of Russia and Ukraine. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business Well, you're listening to Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And today, I'm just kind of reading a few things that I found so fascinating. And of course, this um, the Russian war has just been so upsetting and so terrible and just so devastating for Ukraine that when I found this... Um, it was a speech, actually, that was given at Hillsdale College in October, and um, it was by Christopher Caldwell, who is a senior fellow at Claremont Institute, and he is a writer for the New York Times and a, a graduate of Harvard, and you know he writes for a lot of things. But this was a little bit about um, kind of the involvement between the two, and it just gives us a bit of a backstory. And, um, you know, whether you agree or not, I just think that it's always good to have all sides of the stories, right? Because don't we always say that the truth is there's yours, mine, and then the truth? (laughs) So we all have a a story to tell. So it says, the concern of the evil of Vladimir Putin, who woke, woke up one morning and chose, whether out of sadism or insanity, to wreak unspeakable violence on his neighbors, Putin's actions are described as an unprovoked invasion of a noble democracy by a corrupt autocracy. Now, how ought we to respond is assumed to be a no-brainer. The United States has pledged uh, vast quantities of 
weaponry along with aid that is likely to run into the hundreds of billions of dollars and has brought large parts of the world economy, particularly in Europe um, and NATO, it, it's to a standstill. Now, whenever people in power tell you something's a no-brainer, there's a good chance that it is a brainer. And the Ukraine war is more complicated than we have been led to assume. So there are reasons why the U.S. might want to project power into the Black Sea region. And we must not ignore that the politics of the region are extraordinarily complex, that the Ukraine conflict is full of paradoxes and optical illusions, and that the theater we are entering has been, over the past 150 years, the single most violent corner of the planet. And unless we learn to respect the complexity of the situation, we risk turning it into something more dangerous, both for Europeans and for ourselves. And as I continue, I just want to remind you, this is not written by me. Uh, this was a talk by Christopher Caldwell on the complications of the war. So here are the historic roots of the conflict. So Putin invaded Ukraine after the U.S. rejected his demand for a guarantee that Ukraine not join NATO. And we're not going to excuse Putin, but we should note that until quite recently, having Ukraine in NATO was a prospect that struck many foreign policy thinkers as a bad idea. And these included George Keenan, who was one of the architects of the NATO alliance when the Cold War began in the 1940s. Keenan was alert and active at about 90 years of age when NATO won the Cold War at the turn of the 1990s. And in 1997, during the Clinton administration, he, war he warned that American plans to push NATO borders smack up against those of Russia would be a great mistake of the t entire post-Cold War era. Now, John Mearsheimer, a professor at the University of Chicago, who is a representative of Keenan's viewpoint, um, is skeptical of idealist crusades like the one in Iraq that George Bush drew the country into in 2003. He thinks that President Bush dramatically overestimated the degree to which the U.S. could spread its values and institutions. And in light of present events, he especially faults Bush's push to bring the former Soviet Republic of Georgia and Ukraine into NATO in 2008. But a lot of Americans in government at the time uh, did feel the same. They thought that uh, Ukrainian entry into NATO was a bright red line for the Russian elite and not just Putin. And in thinking about why this would be the bright red line, it we have to consider why it was the Ukrainian problem didn't get resolved at the end of the Cold War. And it's because Russia is a vast country, the largest in the world. It's not so much a country as an empire. And even today, it has dozens of ethnic republics in it. I know that you've heard of Chechnya, but have you heard of Tuva or Mariel or the Republic of Saka? Saka is four times the size of Texas, but it disappears inside of Russia. And back in the day, of course, this vast Russian empire was part of another empire, the evil empire, as Ronald Reagan used to call it. And it was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR. There were 15 Soviet republics, including Russia, Ukraine, the Baltic states, Armenia, and Turkestan. 
And that bigger empire was part of even a bigger empire, which included the Eastern European captive nations of Poland and Hungary. Then when communism collapsed in the early 1990s, all these countries found their way to independence, most of them peacefully, some of them bloodily. But Ukraine, while nominally independent, remained bound to Russia in a number of informed ways, sometimes willingly, sometimes reluctantly. Russia kept its Black Sea fleet in Crimea. Ukraine got cheap gas and desperately needed financial assistance. So why wasn't Ukraine able to make a clean break? Not because it forgot to, not for lack of can-do spirit. It was just a really hard problem at the time. And with the possible exception of Latvia, Ukraine was the most Russian of the non-Russian Soviet republics. Russian has for a long time been the language of its big cities, of its high culture, and of certain important regions. So if you had to give a one-word answer to what this Ukraine war is about, you would probably say Crimea. Crimea is a peninsula. It's jetting out into the middle of the Black Sea. It's where the great powers of Europe fought the bloodiest war of the century between Napoleon and World War I. It is a defensive superweapon. The country that controls it dominates the Black Sea and can protect its military force into Europe, the Middle East, and even into the steppes of Eurasia. And since the 1700s, that country has been Russia. Crimea has been the home of Russia's warm water fleet for 250 years, and it is the key to Russia's southern defenses. So Crimea found itself within the borders of Ukraine Because in 1954, which is the year after Stalin died, his successor, Nikita Khrushchev, signed it over to Ukraine. Now, historians hotly debate why he did that. But while Crimea was administratively Ukrainian, it was still culturally Russian. It showed on several occasions that it was eager to break with Ukrainian rule as Ukraine was to break with Russian rule. And in a referendum in January 1991, 93% of the citizens of Crimea voted for autonomy from Ukraine. Now, of course, this is me talking now and not the uh, not Christopher Caldwell. We don't know if the people were forced to vo- vote um, for you know annexation back into Russia as they just recently were with uh, Putin's vote. So we don't know if that was an authentic vote or not, and history doesn't really tell us. But in 1994, 83% voted for the establishment of a dual Crimean-Russian citizenship. And we that referendum held after the Russian arrived in 2014. But... That uh, resulted in a similar percentage, um, and it's very controversial because uh, it is believed that that was a forced election. So now uh, we enter the United States, and again, these are Christopher Caldwell's words. With the end of communism, Ukraine was beset by two big problems. First, Ukraine was really uh, corrupt because it was run by the post-communist oligarchs, that were Russian, and they ran it like it was in Russia. And in many ways, Ukraine was absolutely worse off because in Russia, 
Putin, whatever you think of him, was at least able to rebuff those oligarchs who sought direct political control. But uh, in Ukraine, it was the oligarchs who were, ruining, uh, who were running the country, and they were incredibly corrupt. Now, the second problem for Ukraine was it was divided between a generally Russophile East and a, a, Rus a Russophobic West. And it was so divided that the border between the two uh, sections they had a huge clash. And the dividing line was, could they even be civilized? They're two Slavic, primarily Orthodox people who've had close relationships with each other for centuries, but the, the violence was uh, palpable. Now, the U.S. didn't see this, uh, the things that way. It backed the Russo, you know, the Russophobic Western Ukrainian side against the Russophile Eastern Ukrainian side. And this orientation took hold in the Bush administration during the democracy promotion blitz that accompanied the Iraq war. So in 2004, the U.S. intervened in a very crooked election, helping to sponsor and coordinate the so-called Orange Revolution. And the pivotal moment, that's the moment when the uh, region began to tip into violence, came in 2014. And the circumstances seemed to be very dubious. The previous year, the Ukrainian diplomats had negotiated a free trade deal with the European Union that um, would have cut out Russia. Russia then outbid the EU with its own deal, which included $15 billion in incentives for Ukraine and continued naval basing rights for Russia. And at the time, the Ukrainian president was Viktor Yan Yanukovych. He signed it. And then U.S.-backed protests broke out in Kiev's um, main square and in cities all across the country. And according to a speech made at the time by the State Department official, the U.S. had spent $5 billion to influence Ukraine's politics. And considering that Ukraine had a lower per capita income than Cuba, Jamaica, or na, 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 uh, where is it? Namibia, $5 billion could buy a lot of influence. So an armory was raided, shootings near the main square left dozens of protesters dead. Uh, Yakonovich fled the country, and the U.S. played the central role in setting up a successful government. The U.S. meddled with Russia's vital interests this way. It created problems immediately, like every Ukrainian government since the end of the Cold War, um, the, like Yakunovich's government, they were all corrupt. And unlike many of them, it was legitimately elected, and the U.S. helped to overthrow these corrupt governments. So that was the point when Russia invaded Crimea. It took over, is what it called it, because... There wasn't any life, um, loss of life, um, and because the military operation, they call these military operations, just like they're calling it now, but that wasn't a fighting one. But it was a brutal and unprovoked invasion of a reaction to America. Now, no one can read Putin's mind, but it would not be evidence of insincerity or insanity if Putin considered the Ukrainian coup or uprising a threat. That is what any military historian of the region would have said. So at the turn of the 20th century, 
This uh, strategist, H.J. Mackinder, called the expanse north of the Black Sea the geopolitical pivot of history. So the danger to Russia in 2014 was not just the loss of Russia's largest naval base. It was that that naval base would be acquired by the world's most sophisticated military power, a power that had shown itself to be Russia's enemy and that would now sit with all its weaponry at Russia's gateway to the world. And when Russians describe Ukrainian membership in NATO as a mortal threat to their country's survival, they really are being sincere because they don't want America there. So America and European leaders, although they deplored the Russian occupation of Crimea, they seemed to understand that a Russia-controlled Crimea created a more stable equilibrium and was, was more to the natives' liking than a Ukraine-controlled Crimea. So President Obama, he just let sleeping dogs lie, and so did Trump. And then they also made large transfer, transfers of advanced weaponry and military uh, know-how to Ukraine. And as a result, over time, a failed state defended by ramshackle collection of oligarch-sponsored militias turned into the third largest army in Europe, right behind Turkey and Russia, with a quarter million men under arms. Then, on November 10th of uh, 2021, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken signed a strategic partnership with Ukraine, and it not only committed the U.S. to Ukraine's full integration into NATO, but also stressed Ukraine's claim to Crimea. Now the Black Sea region's problems in all their complexity risk being thrown into our lap. So how does the U.S. have problems in Ukraine? And again, this is from Christopher Caldwell, uh, a writer for the New York Times. When Russia invaded, the U.S. stood by its potential future ally, but without much sense of proportion and seemingly without much attention to the stakes. So... um, The military problems, who knows who's going to win this war? But given that Russia is much more powerful than Ukraine, economically and militarily, the need for U.S. assistance is immense and indefinite. And no matter the war's outcome, keeping Ukraine in this war has already come at a very high cost of lives for Ukraine, weapons for the U.S. and uh, the EU. The U.S. is not just supporting Ukraine. It is fighting a war in Ukraine's name. And from early in the war, we have provided targeting information for drone strikes and um, missile attacks on Russian ships. And since past summer, the U.S. is providing Ukraine with with, um, computer-targeted rocket artillery systems. The Ukrainians are still doing the dying. And I heard, this is Cynthia talking now, um, not uh, Caldwell, Uh, last night on PBS, there was, um, it said that over 100,000 Ukrainians have died so far since February, which is just astounding. Uh, So this is a war with no natural stopping point, and one can easily imagine scenarios in which winning might be more costly than using. Than losing, And should the U.S. pursue the war to ultimate victory, taking Crimea and admitting in a, um, Ukraine into NATO, it is going to require a Korea-level military buildup to hold the ground taken. 
It will also change the West because the U.S. for the first time will have expanded NATO by conquest, occupying Terry, uh, Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine. Um, and we don't know if those parts want the U.S. there, but it seems that the Ukrainians want the Ukrainians there for sure. So American policymakers have launched an unprecedented type of economic warfare against Russia, and hopefully it's going to be just as effective as battlefield warfare. And unfortunately, it probably will generate um, a lot of hard feelings. Or maybe, who knows? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. At American urging, Russia has been cut off from the private but universal Brussels-based SWIFT system, which is used for international financial uh, transfers. And um, the hard currency reserves of Russian Central Bank have been frozen, about $284 billion. And long term, these actions carry risks because uh, our economic power in the U.S., particularly the dollar status as reserve currency, which pres uh, permits the U.S. to sustain deficits on our carrying out our fiduciary responsibilities to international institutions, and remembering that the money we are managing is not ours. So if you're a banker who pockets the depositor's money, um, depositors are going to look for another bank. So the danger to the U.S. is that not only Russia, but also China and India might set up alternative systems to through, what, through which to move their money. And the largest problem that America faces is distrust, both at home and abroad. And thus far, the war's most important world historical surprise has been the failure of the U.S. to rally a critical mass of what it used to call the world community to punish Russia's uh, contestation of the American-led world order. And in the past few decades, the U.S. has developed a method of intervention against those it considers um, ideological adversaries. So the U.S. first expresses moral misgivings about a country and then rallies other, other countries to pressure it economically or isolate it. And this time, India and China have not joined us in isolating Russia. Um, it appears that they fear that this same machinery, machinery can easily be cranked up against them if they're not careful. And so we just saw um, Biden meet with um, Xi of China. So another factor is surely that after the Iraq war, other countries have less trust in the judgment of the U.S. as to which territories are likely to be suitable candidates for democracy. And finally, the big transformation that is predicted for a generation now, that power would shift from the U.S. and Europe to Asia or to other places, is underway. So the West still does relatively well, but not as well that it can count on the rest of the world to rally behind it. So whether in victory or defeat, Americans may discover that we cannot run a 20th century foreign policy with a 21st century society. So again, that is called the complications of the Ukraine war. And this was a speech that was given at um, the Hillsdale, Hillsdale College in October 
during a Center for Con uh, Constructive Alternatives conference on the topic of Russia by Christopher Caldwell. So it's just food for thought. I think it's always important to bring all sides to the table as we are contemplating what we are involved in. Well, you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have a quick business bite, and then we will be back with Modern Dentistry's Painful Past, and then hopefully just get tell you a little bit about protecting our forests through fire. I'm Cynthia Bryan. Stay with me. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Informational interviews are on the rise, and do you know how to step it up? First, do your homework. Research shows that the person you are meeting is important that you research it. Keep the info in your back pocket to use as an icebreaker. Look at the company's job listings for a job that interests you and look at social media feeds to get an idea of the company culture and values. Be clear with your intentions. Informational interviews are generally informal conversations about an industry or a job that interests you. It is not an interview. It is a chance for you to get insider tips and knowledge. So make clear goals and let the person you're speaking with know what your objectives are. Ask, is there a specific company that you should be looking at or job opening that you are curious about that might be available and share the conversation accordingly. Write down your questions beforehand because they should be open-ended because it's a, a conversation. You don't want a structured agenda, although you want to be prepared. And jot your questions down to keep you on track, but don't be afraid to ask follow-up questions later. Always send a thank you note. A short email thanking someone for their time goes a long way. A handwritten note is even better. Expressing gratitude in this way sets you up for long-term success. And then follow up. If your interviewer suggests someone in the industry to speak with, get that person's info and do it. If your resume is forwarded to someone in the company, ask for the person's name. Stay in touch. Your goal is to keep the momentum going and to build relationships. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. You are the 
Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. So we are back, and you're listening to Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. If you haven't gone to starstylecommunity.com and bought an NFT, you really want to do that because there are so many advantages to having it. You don't need cryptocurrency, which is good because that that seems to be falling down. You can just use a Visa card. The NFTs are only $99, and you get all kinds of perks. Plus, uh, the NFT you get is so beautiful, and I I don't know a lot about it, but I'm pretty sure they're going to go up in price. Um, you can look at them, too, on OpenSea, but visit starstylecommunity.com. So um, I, I think everybody probably goes to the dentist these days, and I always think about the fears of dentistry because as a child, I had to have all my teeth pulled, so I always had a really terrible fear of dentists. I believe in facing my fears, so I married my fear. Um, <laughs> but since the start of the pandemic, a number of studies have uncovered a surprising link, which is... People are getting gum disease, which it usually starts with bloody gums, you know, when you start brushing. And that is because uh, people weren't going to the dentist. And according to the stats, a patient with COVID is three times more likely to be admitted to the ICU with complications if they have gum disease. And, you know, you never think about that kind of stuff, but it is true. So, Putting off that visit to the dentist or the hygienist isn't a good idea right now. You really need to go do it. So um, if you have unpleasant memories of visits to the dentist, as I do, but caring for your teeth is so important, let's talk about our ancestors, because I think about this all the time. Uh, (laughs) And... um, In 2006, an Italian-led team of evolutionary anthropologists working, uh, they were in southwestern Pakistan, and they found several 9,000-year-old skeletons whose infected teeth had been drilled using a pointed flint tool. So attempts at recreating the process found that the patients would have had to sit still for several minutes. Now, Poppies do grow in that region, so maybe they had some expertise and maybe they had um, some anesthesia with those poppies, but who knows. Now, acupuncture could have been used to treat that tooth pain in ancient China, but the chronology remains uncertain. And in ancient Egypt, dentistry was considered a distinct medical skill, but the Egyptians still had some of the worst teeth in the ancient world mostly because they were chewing on uh, grit and sand, you know, that the food had grit and sand. And they were really averse to dental surgery, and they relied instead on topical pain remedies like amulets or mouthwashes, and even paste, (laughs) listen to this, they made paste from dead mice. Would you like to do that? Ugh. Um, Faster relief was obtained in Rome, where tooth extraction and dentures were widely available. 
Now, during the Middle Ages in Europe, dentistry fell under the purview of barbers. So you could go and get your haircut and your teeth pulled at the same time. <laughs> um, the misery of mouth pain continued unabated until the early 18th century, where the French physician Pierre Fauchard became the first doctor to specialize in teeth. And he was a rigorous scientist, and um, he had some innovative methods. And he is actually called the surgeon dentist. So he elevated dentistry to a serious profession on both sides of the Atlantic. Before he became famous for his midnight ride, Paul Revere actually earned a respectable living making dentures. Who knew? And George Washington's false teeth were actually a marvel in those colonial days. Um, and they combined human teeth with elephant and walrus ivory and it created a you know, realistic look. Now, we wouldn't use ivory these days. But during the 1800s, the U.S. led the world in dental medicine. And not only as an academic discipline, but in the standardization of the practice from the use of automatic drills to the dental chair. Now, the biggest breakthrough was the invention of local anesthesia, thank goodness, in 1884. And in 1884, July of that year, Sigmund Freud published a paper in Vienna on the potential use of cocaine. Four months later in America, Richard Hall and William Halstead, whose pioneering work included the first radical mastectomy for breast cancer, decided to test cocaine's numbing properties by injecting it into their dental nerves. Hall had an in, uh, infected incisor filled without feeling a thing. So he, he thought this was great. So for patients, the experiment was a miracle. Now for Hall and Halstead, it turned out to be a disaster because they both became cocaine addicts. But fortunately, dental surgery um, has been made safe by the invention of the non-habit-forming Novocaine, and that was about 20 years later. So with orthodontics, veneers, implants, and teeth, Whiteners, dentists can give anyone a beautiful smile nowadays. And the main thing is that oral care doesn't have to hurt and it could save your life. So you want to definitely make an appointment for your dentist because, again, if you get sick, you are three times more likely to end up in the ICU if you have any kind of gum disease. And Sometimes the first sign of any disease is in our mouth, and dentists are the ones to find it. So just a very quick thing about friendly fire in our forests. You know, uh, Smokey the Bear had said that, you know, only you can permit, prevent uh, forest fires. But according to new research at Cal Berkeley, um, it is a counterintuitive Setting small, purposeful fires can actually minimize the risk of major wildfires. So the study was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it discussed this phenomenon labeled cultural burning. So for centuries, the Karuk and the Yurok tribes set controlled fires in the Klamath Mountains to clear forest paths and provide better conditions for hunting and gathering. And by thinning the region's tree density, the indigenous peoples reduced the chance of more devastating wildfires. So the team behind this study used centuries-old indigenous knowledge 
to determine the impact of cultural burning on forest structure and biodiversity. And it really seemed necessary to talk to the people who live on the land to figure out what the story of this place was. So there's so much more beyond as empirical data set about the history of a landscape. So this team received approval from the Karuk Resources Advisory Board before beginning the study. And for empirical data, the team analyzed sediment cores from two lakes in the Klamath Mountains to determine past pollen and charcoal levels. The, the cores show that tree density increased with colonization as European settlers often prohibited cultural burning. And it sounds so, what we're actually going through, how much we have, uh, you know, prohibited so many things from our indigenous settlers. So the area's biomass, which was fuel for fires, has roughly doubled post-colonization. So the authors of the study conclude that overzealous fire suppression, which we have done in recent centuries, has only exacerbated the intensity of wildfires in the Sierra Nevada region. So the idea that we need to just let nature take its course um, really underestimates the management need. So we need to actively manage um, our forests, but a little bit at a time. And that what that is what has been done for a thousand years and probably longer by our indigenous people. So I would say we need to listen to our indigenous populations. Well, that is the show for today. Hope you gained some uh, knowledge from it and have found it entertaining. Um, you can have what you want, do what you dream and brave what you fear. You just have to see it in your mind. So thank you for joining me on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are, visit bethestarur.org. For more information about Cynthia Bryan or to buy any of my books and No Barnyard Bullies is the new one. And I thank Margie Sullivan for inviting me to a, a book signing and storytelling at her art gallery in uh, Point Richmond this past weekend. It was so much fun. So visit CynthiaBryan.com. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. See beyond your physical being. Know you already are the star you dreamed of becoming. And pick up copies of No Barnyard Bullies or other books at CynthiaBryan.com. They'll make great holiday gifts. Until next week, when we celebrate once again, remember love always wins, kindness always prevails, smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be your unapologetically authentic self. Go out in the world and be the star you are. And we'll be together next week. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.